0: hello and welcome to the let's talk this is your host Susie Lewis speaking from Toulouse this episode of let's talk we'll be discussing purpose and vision in leadership and its role in reinventing organizations today I'm delighted to have Aidan McCullen here with me Aidan welcome to the show
1: thanks a million Susie great to be with you
0: Likewise, Aiden's work is centered around sustainable transformation, organizational culture, innovation, and digital. Uh, and we met in this space. He also hosts the innovation show where he interviews and exchanges with thought leaders and specialists on these topics. And he runs the Thursday Thoughts weekly blog. So head over and check them out to find out more about Aidan and what he does. But in his former life, Aidan wasn't always in the business world. He was a professional rugby player and followed his own path for change as he moved from the professional sports world into the corporate world. Aidan, change and transformation are some of the most talked about topics in today's world, but they're not new. (laughs) There are a lot of discussions around why change is hard, essentially because it starts with the individual, I think, and it's about looking inside. I'm really curious to hear more about your change journey and what did you learn from that journey, from the sports world to the corporate world?
1: Yeah, so it's been a really fascinating journey. I I consider myself extremely lucky because I I was that kid when you know you're in school and you see the kid who's not picked (laughs) first in the team. Actually, was often picked last, and if if I wasn't picked, I was picked to try and be on the other team so they'd lose.
0: (laughs) So so
1: I I was that kid. Being that kid is actually quite an advantage because you learn resilience and you learn those kind of challenges at a very Mm. young age and. Mm. What I discovered was I, I, because I was a late starter really with sport, not really with sport, with, with rugby in particular, where I, I went on to play professionally,
0: uh-huh.
1: I had learned a variety of skills in the earlier sports that I tried. So I played Gaelic football, which is our national sport okay. here in Ireland, uh-huh. soccer, uh, basketball, swimming, and was always on the bench and all those things, or, or if even no I can't and, believe. and you pick up and what, what you do you pick up you, you pick up a variety of different skills and uh-huh. when i eventually really took rugby seriously and started training hard it was around 16 and i just learned the habit of hard work and vision and those things you know it's easy when you look back on your story to connect the dots as steve jobs says
0: yeah <laughs>
1: It's very easy to do that. But looking back, I realized that I had a formula that was useful for the rest of my life. And that formula was have a vision, really think about it, imagine it, dream it, and then do the work to get to it. And all kinds of serendipities, all kinds of fortunate circumstances will happen for you, but you need to have that vision in the first place. And you need to do the work. And I tell my kids the whole time, I, I torture the poor guys, they're 10 and six. I tell them stories <laughs> like this all the time uh, and stuff they'll understand like stories. I say, yeah. if you want the gold, you need to defeat the dragon. And when I just say that, I go, what does that mean to you? And they went, you need to do the hard work. So with anything they do, if they are taking on any endeavor, they need know they need to do the work mm-hmm. in order to achieve because mm-hmm. just simply having the dream and trying to manifest it won't be enough. You need to do the work.
0: Mm. I love that. I love the analogy with a dragon because it is like that. It can feel huge. And uh, I love the idea of having to go back there and fight the flames and, and climb up onto something that's really quite scary. I mean, if we look at organizations and there's a lot of talk about reinventing organizations or realigning organizations, particularly now, I mean, what are your thoughts on the place of purpose and vision in organizational culture. I mean, resilience is huge and needs to be very present now, but but what is the place of purpose? How can it help that?
1: Well, I think about it in the same way. You know, you said something to me before that it needs to start with the individual and and that's really true. So firstly, the individuals need to be the right type of people who are learning individuals and they need Mm. to be hired for that. And, And I think that's the most important thing. It's not so much You need technically proficient people anymore. You need people who are flexible and malleable in their thinking and will devour way new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things, et cetera, et cetera. But that's really difficult for us because we often become crystallized in the way we do things because we achieve at it. So Hmm. most people in organizations hold a role and that role has a title and it has a, a bunch of tasks tied to it. And when that happens, they become protective of that. And it's this whole idea of loss aversion that to take the risk to get something new is very, very risky versus to just hold on to what you have. And this is the whole idea of it's riskier to lose $5 than it is to win $5. So nobody takes the bet. And mm-hmm. this is what happens in careers. We become stuck in our ways of thinking. We become protective of what we've achieved. And going back to the children, that starts at a really young age where yeah. they may be good at painting and you go, oh, you're really good at painting. And then all of a sudden they hear that. That gets baked into their mentality way and it becomes a worldview. And then if you compliment their brother or sister and go oh wow that's a brilliant painting they they look over jealously and kind of go wait a second (laughs) I just got complimented so it starts back there so we need to be very cognizant of that and you know it's difficult enough being a parent let alone being a parent in lockdown okay so 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 we can't be too hard on ourselves but we can be aware of it and it's one of the reasons I do my show my work is Mm it's beyond organizations because I want to try and influence the people who work in those organizations. So effectively it starts with that, but there's an analogy I love Susie that I'll share with you, which is the analogy of the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly, because I think this absolutely nails what happens to all of us and happens on a larger scale inside organizations. And what happens is, a caterpillar is perfectly happy being a caterpillar. And what it does is it firstly is born and then it eats the egg shell from which it comes. And it uses that to nourish its next being, which is the caterpillar. And then it goes on this eating rampage. like this <laughs> <Sounds Caterpillar>. good. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that children's story, The Hungry Caterpillar. Yeah, you know? I was going to say. Yeah. It goes and it eats everything it can, everything it finds, etc. And it nourishes itself. But what happens then, there's these cells inside the caterpillar that start to activate. And they're beautifully named, aptly named, imaginal cells. And the imaginal cells start to activate. And the caterpillar has this inkling deep inside itself that change is due and change is needed. Mm-hmm. And it resists the imaginal cells. So the caterpillar's own cells resist it and they fight it. But eventually, the all the imaginal cells start to appear in different parts of the caterpillar's being, and they resonate at a different frequency and they connect and they eventually overcome the caterpillar. And then the caterpillar has this programming to go and become a chrysalis and go into a cocoon. And what happens next is similar to when the caterpillar is born, where the caterpillar is dissolved into this kind of soupy mix inside the cocoon. (laughs)
0: Sounds lovely. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And and what happens is the butterfly uses the caterpillar as fuel to become the next self, which is the butterfly. Mm -hmm. And I love that analogy. And I use it in my forthcoming book because this is what happens all of us. We have this inkling for change deep inside us. But oftentimes Mm -hmm. what we do is we numb it with alcohol or distraction or Netflix or whatever it might be to numb that feeling and we go, oh, well, work is just the way work is. Mm -hmm. But we are made to adapt and transform and change. And we need to listen to those inklings. And Mm -hmm. like on an organizational scale, an organization is like this one big caterpillar that's constantly becoming and constantly becoming a butterfly. And what happens is you have change makers. Like I'm sure if you ever worked in an organization, you were one. Who are like the imaginal cells, Mm -hmm. who have these kind of beacons coming out of them of energy that goes, we need to change, we need to do things differently. And if Mm. there's not enough change agents like that, enough imaginal cells, if you will, within an organization, they'll be overcome by the organization's status quo. Mm. They'll be the ones snuffed out. Or what happens mostly is people like you leave the organization, Mm. people like me leave the organization because we don't have enough of us to overcome the organization. So, what we need is the head of the organization, which is the brain of the butterfly or the brain mm. of the caterpillar here, to start from there and go, actually, these guys have a point and mm. we need to empower them and we need to hire more like them because mm. organizational change or transformation of any kind is not linear. It's not you're born and you die, it's cyclical, it's mm. a cycle of constant. Transformations constantly becoming and using the old self as fuel to become the fuel for the new self. And Mm. I think this is another thing that's so so often overlooked in organizations is when you're a change maker, you often look at the old organization, you kind of go, Oh, those guys are such a pain. And what you need to more look at them is gone, thank you to those old guys for fueling the new Mm. because of them and because they've created a revenue stream. Now, I can use that to create a new being again, and I'll bring as many of them as I can on the journey with me, but some of them are going to resist, and that's just the way things are
0: and I think that's the paradox though is it in organizations we're asking for innovation often, and when it and we get grassroots innovation because people form communities because they're passionate because there are lots of caterpillars that are fighting to become butterflies, and i truly I truly believe that you can unlock a lot of potential a potential and a lot of courage in organizations by doing that. I think often when it gets to the top, they're not ready. so the paradox is the old innovation paradox around running those two parts of explore and exploit, which are essentially two antagonistic cultures running them in in parallel and saying you know how do we impact?" that ecosystem of butterflies, if I take your analogy. So how can we help other caterpillars open their, open their wings and get out of their cocoons? And I think you know, that the cultures and the management models and organizational design are often the status quo. So instead of evolving the old, we need to think about creating new. How, how does vision play out there for you?
1: Yeah, so vision... For? Vision is so absolutely important. You need to know what you want to become. And there's a saying, a biblical proverb, and it's it's, um, without a vision, the people perish. It's uh, Mm -hmm. from a a biblical passage. But the interesting thing about it is, is the Hebrew word for perish is called pora. And pora means, what it refers to in the passage is a woman's hair blowing wildly in the wind.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Without, without a hairband, right? Okay. <laughs> and I, lo- I love this because I use this uh-huh. as an analogy in one of my articles that this is what happens in organizations. Everybody's busy blowing in the wind, but mm. they're not contained by some central point. And the central point is the hairband essentially. Mm. And we need that in organizations where we need a central point to go, look, this is what we're about. This mm. is what we do. This is our vision. This is what we will achieve. And this is how we're going to do it. And the how comes right at the end because it's like anything you dream. You mentioned me with sport. I didn't know how the heck I was going to get there. And, you know, I played in Toulouse hmm. and Toulouse was what I wanted. Uh, you know, I went over and I played in Dax in the south of France. Yeah. When I was Great twenty. place. <laughs> yeah, beautiful place. And I saw Toulouse play and I was like, wow, I want to play for yeah. them. And I had n- n- no idea how that was going to happen. But the how... Just happened. As I said, a load of fortunate circumstances fell into place, including huge trials and tribulations like not getting picked, getting dropped Mm. from the team Leinster that I was in for six years. Getting dropped there was actually the catalyst to go to to Toulouse. I would never have got there if I was getting my game and getting picked on a regular basis. But what kept you focused? Well, just the, I think going back to the habits I'd learned early, which was Mm. that habit of the hard work, but also I kind of, I developed these range of mental models, and I try and share them with my kids as much as possible without overwhelming them with stories. Mm-hmm. But uh, one day, curious. <laughs> one day, I was I came home from work, and my older son had had a rough day. Something happened, and okay. I, my wife said, "Oh, he's upstairs. He's he's crying." And I went up to him, and I was like, "Are hey, you okay, buddy? What's going on?" And he said, uh, "Oh, I just had a bad day, etc." Right. So that weekend. I brought them off up to the, to the mountains here in Ireland and we we were sitting having a picnic. So now that sounds idyllic, but we were having like a <laughs> bar of chocolate sitting on a rock, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were sitting beside a stream and the stream was wild and windy and it bended all over the place. And I said to the guys, why do you think that happens? And they said, Oh, it's because it hits. stuff. My older son loves science. He said it's because it hits stones and it goes around. And I said, and that's what happens in life as well. I said we we come across these challenges, and you can either stop or you can find a way to overcome them. Right? And so I, I said that, and I planted that seed. And then a couple of weeks later, I was giving them a bath, and I I, re- I rec- recalled this idea, and I. It was kneeling down, you know the way you test the water. You pull yeah. up your <laughs> kneeling down beside the bath, and I started waving it. You know the way you start swishing it left and yeah. right, and one half of the bath's up and the other half's down. And I said, "Guys, look at this. This is uh, <laughs>
0: this is life. <laughs> I, think I
1: think I'm nuts. Yeah, this is life. It's, it's look at what's happening here. There's a body of water, and one part of it's high and the other parts low, but it's the same body of water. And this is what happens in life. You have highs." you have lows all the time and they're intertwined like yin, yin mm. and yang there, the contrasts of life, black and white, everything that comes. And I th- taught, them, taught them this lesson again. And the reason I do this is to instill these ways of seeing the world that are so helpful that even if you have a high, you enjoy the heck out of that high yeah. because there's a low going to come and huh. we're, in the world, certainly in the business world at the moment, we're in a bit of a lull. We're in the in the trough of a wave, not in the crest.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But if you've developed some really positive habits, like most change makers mm. have,
0: mm.
1: you've built capability that is so useful to overcome mm. the troughs. And yeah. that's my mantra for any of these things. And that's how I overcame those challenges. While mm. they're horrible when you're in amidst them, mm. but if you have this kind of zoom out view of it and going to go, oh, that's what it is. Now I know because something's good's coming down the line. That intertwines with your vision because you you formulate a vision and the vision has to be refreshed consistently, Mm. particularly in this world of unbelievable change and only going to get faster. That's why I'm so passionate about what I do. And Mm. like you with organizations working with them, it's not so much to make the organization have better profits, which are true by the way organizations with engaged employees yep, outperform really. at a rate of 202% according to some studies. So mm. massive financial gain from it. But more importantly, the people who come to work every day are not dreading it. No, and they're loving they it. Feel their part. Yeah, and they feel their part of something yeah. and they're bound like the hair of the hairband by some overarching vision with a leadership team that empowers mm. them.
0: And that's why I think You completely agree with you but the vision is often seen as a checklist activity so we've done the strategy tick done the vision tick and they revisit it maybe once a year twice if 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 they're lucky but the post-covid era is also going to be about constantly constantly retuning realigning and it may not be massive or it might be and I think one of the great things that change agents bring is this growth mindset of okay, let's have a look. And maybe we should do it differently. Maybe we have to completely change the paradigm. Maybe we need to get more like-minded people around the table. But today, for me, organizational design and to some extent culture, although it is changing, comes to inhibit that. What's your experience of that in organizations? And how have you seen them deal with it?
1: Yeah, so we have this unbelievable, and this is baked into us from school and from Mm. the Industrial Revolution, this idea of command and control, because... Ultimately, what happened, I suppose, was the schools were empowered by the Carnegies and the big, massive industrial change makers in the world. So they needed workers for the factory. So they trained people to be obedient and to sit in their swim lanes. And I was telling you, I have an article I'm just in the middle of writing about no more swim lanes. So getting outside these swim lanes because we're trained to do that. So that was fine for a world where... You know, you mm-hmm. took the the way, railway track and you hammered it a few times and then you passed it to me and I added a screw and then I passed it to John and he handed it to Mary and everybody had their role on the assembly line. That was fine for them. But the world is so not that anymore. And if that is the case, you are so replaceable in the future by AI because
0: yeah. I think
1: people don't realize how fast AI has come upon us. And how COVID is an accelerant for that. It's fuel mm-hmm. on the fire for change. And this is coming so much faster than ever before. And I, it's one of the reasons I was so happy to talk to you and share yeah. the message because Thank
0: you. Yeah.
1: I want to make a difference somehow and go, look, I've learned this great knowledge of some stuff that's been so helpful for me. But more importantly, I've learned to how, un- how to unlearn and how to treat my theories as hypotheses that are changeable and malleable and okay if they're wrong but they were mm. right at the time of, of thinking it. And yeah. that that's okay, you know, and, and for that to happen in an organization, mm. we need leaders. I often talk about the analogy of the leader as a farmer and like a good mm. farmer yep. doesn't make crops grow and go sit down and grow. This mm. is how it happens. A farmer prepares the soil, removes the rocks, adds mm. nutrients where necessary, tills it, makes sure that it's protected the and then just, plants the right seeds to the right crop and Mm. the crop grows by itself. And then it protects it when the weather is adverse, it waters it when it's dry, et cetera, et cetera. But the soil
0: Mm.
1: is where the magic happens. And that means we change how people think and collaborate and bump into each other, et cetera, where they're not protective of their roles Mm. or their swim lanes going, hey, wait a second, get out of my swim lane, (laughs) which is what happens in, as you know, in so many organizations.
0: But it's a move from ego to eco, isn't it? That's how I like to talk about it, because it's essentially the paradigm shift from individual to collective. Individually, but also creating those ecosystems within the organisation in terms of how people act, think, act and interact, which is my definition of, of culture. But the whole point around being able to unlearn but also relearn, I think is a major, a major part of the challenge that organisations have. They get momentum of new thinking people into into the organization but i'm not sure how they go about actually deploying that new mindset i mean do you deploy a mindset
1: <laughs> yeah and and this is the difficulty because oftentimes leaders become dependent on the people around them to be yes men and this is why you know you mentioned about the diversity of subjects that that i'm interested yes. in bias is such a huge one because yeah. bias are, are, is essentially they're positive things in a way they're made there for us to survive in the world and recognize patterns and etc. etc. But they, they were designed for a brain that lived in a prehistoric age where we needed to go down to the lake and realize that you were a challenge to me because you were mm-hmm. from a different tribe and you may kill my family or my tribe. Mm-hmm. So I spotted quickly, you were different. You were them. And now those, that ancient architecture, ancient wiring is still, prevalent in our brains mm. and this is where the whole unlearning thing comes along and then on top of that like I mentioned a few minutes ago the education system was designed to teach us specialty, speciality skills and then mm. even you think about kids in college and over there in Toulouse University people are learning one specific skill and become an expert yeah. at that skill yeah. that makes you replaceable so yeah. we need this is where the unlearning things we don't need to just teach kids skills or adults, I don't mean just kids. Hmm. We need to teach mindsets. We need to teach how to learn. And if you think about that, we were never taught in school how to communicate effectively, how to persuade, how to collaborate. Show, show empathy,
0: et Yeah, <laughs> so
1: th- these are all new skills. And mm-hmm. thankfully, you have change agents around the world who are independently mm-hmm. taking them on. But unfortunately, the education system is crystallized as well. And it's thinking, and there's, again, I say this with utmost respect for the people who work there. It's very difficult to change because it's so reliant on the way it is to have revenue, to continue to be the way it is. And now this is this COVID change is going to throw all that into flux because yeah. the organizations are set up to have people in class. There no Very few were set up digitally. Mm. And again, some organizations were caught with their pants down and, and all of a sudden this happened. Uh, you know, and there's a great qu- quote mm. by Warren Buffett, and he said, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming in, the un- in their underpants. And <laughs> some organizations yeah, have yeah. been caught out. And unfortunately, the majority have, mm. not only educational ones, but of all varieties.
0: And it's interesting in the research I've been doing during COVID uh, around whether leaders are confident that their organization is going to take on the lessons learned from COVID and, and, and do something with them. 85% are moderately confident only that the organization will do something with the lessons learned from COVID. And I think that's indicative of the resistance to change that still, even when it's really in front of you, knows that you know organizations need to start thinking differently. But of course, human change takes a lot longer than AI or robotics or RPA or anything like that. So what would your advice be there
1: yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly that at times we think because this is kind of unprecedented event, mm. but but we knew it was coming. <laughs> there mm. was people saying for ages like "chicken littles," the sky's falling down, and <laughs> we didn't listen like the way mm. we don't. So oftentimes, and we've all done it. Yeah. Children do it as well. And kind of, I told you it was going to happen. <laughs> I told you you were going to get hurt, and it's only very few leaders who are empowered. To make that change happen. And I, I often think, I, th- I think this is the real challenge is that mm. there's a saying I use, and you may have heard it on the show, show that I have is that when you point the finger, there's three pointing back at you. Yes. And, and oftentimes we point to the leader. And by the leader, I mean the CEO or the senior executive mm. team of an organization. We go, they're not changing. And there's three pointing back, and you're kind of going, But what are you doing?
0: Yes. What are really, you doing? Yeah.
1: There's so much content out there, like this podcast, like an unbelievable amount of content on YouTube. So many people, by the way, email me and stuff and go, what do you think of doing this course? And they send me a course that they have to pay 200, 300 euro for, and I'm kind of on. Somebody read a load of books and created that course. You Mm. read a lot of books. Why don't you create your own? (laughs) Yeah, for your and I don't mean something commercial. I just mean a mindset or useful tools that work Mm. for you. Because ultimately, all you're going to do is take out of a course that you do a few more ideas, Mm. and all of us do this. We we string them together in a way that's useful, but it's usually useful for us. And then Mm. we do it in a way that we can articulate that to someone else and hope that it's useful to them. Mm. And Going above the leadership and the executive team, where the support needs to come from is the board and the shareholders, because long-term thinking is not a thing that's prevalent in the working world, unfortunately, in the business world. Mm. This idea of monthly or quarterly earning calls kills organizations. Mm. And the successful ones, as we know, like Mm. Jeff Bezos, for example, is all about the long-term gain. Now, he's had unbelievable access to cheap ca- capital, some unbelievable successes like AWS, Amazon Web Services along the way, where they created this product for themselves, realized it was a product, sold that makes billions for them. That gives them their runway to experiment with other things, like you talked about, that kind mm. of search mode, gives them revenue to be able to search and not be too disappointed when most of those se- fail. Mm. But Bezos's long-term vision is so long that he's very slow to give back return on investment to shareholders therefore they're not expecting them and unfortunately with the more legacy crystallized organizations they're expecting a quicker return on investment on a regular basis mm. so senior executive teams and CEOs are so handicapped by this because if they don't show a marginal growth every month or every quarter their life livelihood is on the line and they can only be CEO for so many companies. Otherwise it's like that expression. They've, you've had more clubs than Tiger Woods yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, yeah. is, was a rugby exp- expression. Mm-hmm. And that that's the huge danger is that they don't have support from the board. So the CEO is under pressure from the board. The board started going over quarterly earnings are down. You kind of go, wait a second. Mm-hmm. We've created several experiments and and by the way the terminology to use is so important that you don't call them new business models you call them yeah. experiments because experiments feel short term and not crystallized and therefore people are more open to them mm-hmm. so language is so important in innovation as changes you know mm-hmm. and therefore you kind of get more a little buy in but you need to have them on board to go okay mm-hmm. we're probably not going to hit our we're going to have to revise our targets for the year. And not, not because of something like COVID, because we're going to experiment with some new product, product innovations, some new business models, mm. experiment with them. They're not full-time. Mm. We're going to see if they work or not, because we're going to go into search mode. Yes, we're going to keep the business running as it is, business as usual, mm. but we're going to have business as unusual over here in these little very small segments, but we need to be doing them on, in permanence.
0: Yeah it's the two different things isn't it the industrialized sort of run mode scaled stuff and the sort of proof of concept more innovative stuff and that I think completely small is beautiful in a change world as we as we both know but you know they could start looking at getting different perspectives in there from different people in the organization from different levels of the organization and, and from you know creating their different ways of working like that maybe they you know do some type of empowered organization maybe they use some small team of teams maybe they look at maybe you know looking at things every month in month out but in a different way with different profiles around the table and we're back to that bias discussion but i think there's a lot of work being done to make bias conscious my question is what to do with it once it's conscious and i think there are lots of very small actions that can have a lot of impact Um, and they don't usually get to board level which is a shame
1: absolutely yeah and again it's it's and, and oftentimes it's structural because it's yes. how people are remunerated. So the you know, if you're incentivized not to change, why the heck would you change? <laughs> you know, and and, and you know what the other crazy thing I always find is the exit packages for many CEOs are massive. So hmm. you can't get rid of somebody if you've hired badly because it's gonna cost you a fortune. So it the structures need to change as well. And it's not just mindset; it's structures as well, and they need to yeah. be—they need to happen in tandem. And they're they're two different roles, as you mentioned. They're they're two different tasks from two different departments. It's not HR's department to change everything structurally mm-hmm. and yeah. change mindset. There, you know, and this is why you have roles like L and D, and mm. you have HR, and maybe HR is more mechanical, and L and D is more kind of humanical. It's a, a more of a human change thing. That's why they are so important. But you know, having the right people who are willing to take risks and have what Amy Edinson calls psychological safety is so, so important. Because if mm-hmm. you feel you have to be watching your back and you have to send CYA, cover your ass emails after every <laughs> meeting you have and kind of go, just as we said in that meeting, Susie, yeah, what a fearful, horrible existence to have in the workplace. And most of the time we spend in the world
0: mm. is
1: in the workplace, unfortunately. And why should that be so miserable for people and why should be dreading going to work every day because that then causes them to be sick. They're sick and they're not Mm -hmm. even present when they're at home with their families, which is why they're working in the first place.
0: Yeah. Numbing techniques, but but, but I think there you're back to the individual accountability of I'll sit in this fear or I'll turn it into courage and go to the other end of the scale. And it's not how I want it to be. I don't think it should be like that. I'm going to propose something new. And I know it sounds so easy to say, but it can have a lot of impact and I think there are a lot of people and it is partly generational and partly uh, personality that are willing to do that so you know I think people change agents and organizations should be going to find other change agents or like-minded people whether they carry the title of change agent or not and and look at how they can make a difference because it's now or never for me
1: absolutely and back to what I mentioned about the caterpillar the imaginal cells need to connect you need each other you need support network you need an army of the willing to change things because Mm. it's going to be tough there's going to be the troughs and the waves the bad days that you're going to have to overcome especially when it comes to change because it's the most difficult thing for a human being because we're designed from our ancient architecture not to change
0: Mm. Mm. have you got any last tips or recommendations for organizations or individuals looking to realign their vision or become more impactful?
1: so i have a bias towards the individual i think the and, and i I'm, I'm very willing very open that it's a bias but the the it's because all an organization is is a collective of individuals and they firstly you can change i know it's scary as hell mm. because there's a great brazilian born british he's the father of of skin grafting and grafting his name was uh, peter medwar okay and medwar had this saying and he said the human mind treats a new idea the same way it does a strange protein. It rejects it. <laughs>
0: <Excellent>. <laughs> so it,
1: yeah, like a skin graft, yeah. after something yeah. that's wrong, it rejects it. And that's because your brain is biased towards the status quo because it's safe. And yeah. I think knowing that and knowing that any new information you feed yourself actually changes the whole structure of your brain. One new piece of information mm-hmm. changes it. And if you even every day add something new, Somebody, you know, and I think this is why people listen to different podcasts, they have an affinity to the host or to the content that the host is into, is that if you like that person, listen to them and Hmm. because they've created a comfortable space, a comfortable environment for you to learn. So go after those things that are easy to do. There's loads of low hanging fruit. You don't have to read books. You don't have to pay for courses. There's loads of great content out there. Consume that as an individual. And that's the the best way to start as an organization then is, you know, you hear about this fail fast and break things mantra. And I like it, but there's a caveat there. It's like fail fast, break things, but learn from the mistakes Mm -hmm. and, and do it in small increments. So try it with lots of different experiments. There's an analogy I love, which is if you If you think about ants, for example, are one of the most resilient ancient species on the planet, right? And they've survived and they work as this kind of hive mind. And if Mm. you were to drop a new, a piece of fruit, for example, a piece of apple into uh, an environment where ants reside, only 80% will go towards the apple. And there'll be 20% who are kind of these ants who are explorers and they're just different mindset and they're different job within the ant hive. And the reason is if the apple was poisonous, or if there could be better fruit somewhere elsewhere, those those 20%, those ants go and explore for that and they look for that, and then they go, hey, there's strawberries over here, and everything <laughs> goes over to this. And mm. we need them, we need those guys, explorer ants in organizations who are encouraged and empowered and rewarded. And often mm. the reward is not in money or terms, but it's in the feeling that they're actually making change happen because those people, those imaginal cells in the Caterpillar or those 20% ants in the ant colony, those guys are wired differently and Mm. their reward comes from seeing the change happen individually and from a collective perspective.
0: Thank you. We're back to putting in the hard work, embracing the change, and actually letting diversity of profile and thought work its magic
1: exactly sounds good to me
0: okay thank you thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us aiden
1: a pleasure susie
0: so you can catch up with aiden either via his innovation show podcast or his thursday thought weekly blogs we hope you enjoyed this episode and if so please head over to itunes give us your opinion and a rating and it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of let's talk